0: For many centuries, religious philosophers have employed a method of thinking, and argument called the first cause principle, also known in many circles as the cosmological argument, to show, logically, that the world has to have had a first cause that created it. Jewish rabbis and philosophers, and not only Jewish, uh, Muslim, Christian, and also other religions— have used this line of thinking to try to understand philosophically what exactly caused the world to come into being. And it's not only religious philosophers that accept this train of thought. This idea has been discussed for centuries. Now, the Scottish philosopher of the 1700s, David Hume, claimed to have had objections to this line of thought, one of which I'm going to deal with this evening. I'm going to demonstrate that there's no merit to Hume's objection, and then I'm going to take his argument, turn it around, and use it to show just how powerful the cosmological argument actually
1: is. Welcome to Committing High Reason, a podcast where we dissect important topics such as good versus evil, religion versus no religion, Zionism versus Judaism, and our pet peeve political propaganda. Committing high reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro.
0: The first cause argument, also known as the cosmological argument, has basically two versions. There are many little different subversions for each version, and philosophers tend to think very granularly. Each different nuance becomes a different argument, and the discussion that applies to one may not apply to the other. But there are two basic versions of it. Version number one is based on the principle. Aristotelian in origin. That you cannot have an actual infinite quantity of things. If you think you do, it's an illusion. To illustrate, take a football field, 100 yards. Divide the football fields into two. Now you have two football fields, 50 yards each. Divide those football fields into two. Now you have four 25 yard fields keep dividing and dividing and dividing until the fields get more in quantity but smaller in size now keep dividing how many times can you divide that football field you're going to tell me an infinite amount of times okay so a 100 yard football field is comprised of an infinite amount of points that add up to 100 yards fine Now take a 12-inch stick. Divide up that stick into two pieces. Now you have two sticks, six inches each. Divide those into four sticks of three inches each and keep dividing. How many pieces can you divide that stick into? Well, also infinity, right? So what comes out is that a 12-inch stick and a 100-yard football field are both comprised of an infinite amount of points. So now the question is, if you take an infinite amount of points and put them side by side, will the resultant length of those points equal 12 inches or 100 yards? You see, if, if... See, if A divided by B equals C, then C times B equals A. So it doesn't make any sense that you can divide a 12-inch stick into the same amount of points that you can divide a 100-yard football field into because then they'd be the same length. The answer to this is that infinity is not a large number such that if you count long enough, you'll reach it. Infinity can never be reached if you keep counting. One, two, three keep counting forever you will never reach infinity there is a endless supply of finite numbers and no matter how long you count even if you never stop counting you will never reach infinity there's no such point where you add one more to the amount that you've already counted and say boom I got infinity infinity does not exist in the real world you could use it for mathematical equations and it can exist on paper. But in the real world, where you add one thing to another, when we're talking about a, a actual quantity of things, you cannot have an actual quantity of infinity. You cannot have an actual amount of infinite points. You cannot have an actual amount of infinite minutes. You cannot have an actual amount of infinite marbles in a bowl. So, if you cut that football field into pieces, what will happen is you will continue to add to the amount of cuts, the amount of pieces forever, and continue adding and adding and adding, but you will never reach infinity. And the same thing with the 12-inch stick. You can continue cutting forever, but you will never reach infinity. There was another famous paradox that shows this. If let's say you have a hotel and... A hotel has an infinite amount of rooms, all occupied. No vacancy. And then somebody comes into the lobby and says he wants to spend the night in the hotel. He wants to rent a room. So you tell him there's no room here because all the rooms are full. So the, the guest suggests a solution. He says... Take the guest in room one who's occupying room one, put him in room two. Take the one that's in room two and put him in room three. Room three and put him in room four. Move everybody up and I'll move into room one. After all, if there are an infinite amount of rooms in this place, you can always move everybody up one, which means that this hotel is fully occupied and at the same time able to accommodate any number of people, which sounds absurd. These and many other paradoxes illustrate the idea that an actual infinity in this world cannot exist. And now, with that introduction, we can begin the argument. Everything that happens in the world has a cause. Even accidents have reasons that they ended up the way they did. If someone rolls the dice and they land on nine, there were reasons why that happens. The throw of the dice, the force of the throw, the angle of the throw, the hardness of the surface that the dice landed on, all of these are contributing factors that determine what number those dice will land on. There's a reason for everything. Now, there are reasons for the reasons also. There are reasons why the person threw the dice in that particular way. And there are reasons why he ended up throwing those dice on that particular table as opposed to some other table. And there are reasons why the table had that particular level of hardness. It was the type of wood that the table was made of, the type of lining or padding that was on top of the wood. The particular casino that the person happened to have walked into there's a reason for everything. And there are reasons for the reasons also. And there are reasons for those reasons. Nothing happens without a cause. A cause is a reason something is the way it is, as opposed to a different way that it could have been. If the dice landed on nine, we can ask what made the dice land on nine as opposed to any other number. If a flower is blue, we can ask what made the flower blue as opposed to any other color that it could have been. If something exists, we can always ask what makes this thing exist as opposed to not existing. Because the dice could theoretically have landed on any number and the flower could have been any color and the object could have not existed, there had to be some reason that caused these things to turn out the way they did as opposed to any other way, that they could have turned out. The reason something is the way it is, as opposed to another way it could have been, is what we will call the cause of that thing. And so, anything that could have theoretically not existed, and of course that applies to everything in the universe, has a reason that it happens to exist as opposed to not existing, just like a flower has a reason why it's blue as opposed to red. Therefore, we are entitled to ask about any of these things, what made it exist if it was possible to have not existed? Whatever the answer to that question is, it identifies the cause of this thing's existence. Everything that could have not existed has such a cause, or perhaps more than one cause for its existence. Also, any single thing that happens could have theoretically not happened. And we can ask, therefore, why did this thing happen as opposed to not happen? Of the two possibilities that could have been, A, it should happen, and B, it should not happen, what caused it to happen as opposed to not happen? Under other circumstances, let's take the dice for example, we'll go back to that. The dice would have fallen on six and not nine. So what circumstances were in place that caused the dice to fall on nine and not six? Under other circumstances, I would never have been born. So what circumstances were in place? What, were the, what happened? What was the cause of me being born as opposed to not being born? Any given thing could have been different than it currently is under different circumstances. Everything that is the way it is, is because something made it be so. The circumstances that make things the way they are, as opposed to some other way they could have been, that's what we call the cause. Everything has a cause. And the cause itself has a cause as well, because that cause would have been different under different circumstances. I was born because my parents married each other. My parents married each other because there were causes for that too. And there were causes for the circumstances that led up to their being married and causes for the causes. But now we have a problem. if everything has a cause and the causes also each were in turn caused by something else, ad infinitum, where did it start? All these things which caused other things had to start somewhere because infinity can never be reached here. The question, the amount of causes going back in time from the time I was born to my parents getting married, to the circumstances that led them to get married, all the way back in time, those causes, the amount of causes and the causes of causes, are they infinite or finite? Well, they can't be infinite because you cannot have had an infinite amount of causes because you can't have an actual infinity. you cannot have an infinite amount of anything that actually happened. Put it this way, the amount of causes that led to whatever circumstances we're talking about today already happened, and an infinite amount of causes could not have happened. Therefore, we come to the conclusion that the amount of causes that transpired in the past the amount of causes that stretch back into the past must be finite. A finite amount of causes, and therefore, they had to have a beginning, a first cause that has no cause at all. This means that this first cause has no reason or reasons for why it is. Nothing created it. Nothing makes it what it is. And yet, It exists. It has to, because everything does have a cause, and there cannot be an infinite amount of causes in the past. There cannot be an infinite regress of causes. So there is no other choice but to say that there is a cause. I mean, mathematically, you cannot have an infinite regression of causes, so there had to have been a finite amount of causes, the first cause being an uncaused cause cause, an uncaused cause of everything. Nothing created it. Nothing makes it what it is. There are no circumstances that govern what the first cause is like. The first cause could never have been different than it is because there's nothing that causes it to be as it is. And it certainly could never have not existed since nothing causes its existence. We have a name for the first cause. We Jews have a name for it. We refer to it as something. I think other religions do as well. Not all other religions. The name of the first cause, the label that we give it, Is Hashem, in English, God? And since there are no factors which make the first cause what it is, it can't really be defined. A definition explains what makes something exist as it does. If I were to give you the definition of a table, I would tell you it has legs and a base and it's designed to have things placed upon it. The definition of a table is the list of things that cause it to be a table and not something else. But the first cause has nothing that caused it to be it. The first cause could never have been anything else, no matter what other factors would have been different in the world. The most important thing that we can know about the first cause... is that it is a necessary existence, meaning it could not have not existed, no matter what the circumstances. That's the first version of the cosmological argument. The second version is known in most of the world as coming from the philosopher Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, 17th century philosopher, but about 300 years before him, the Jewish philosopher, rabbi, and sage, Rabbi Chizdai Kreskas, had already said this. Rabbi Kreskas was the leader of Spanish Jewry in his time, both the rabbinic leader and the communal leader. He was was a philosophical giant and a legal Talmudic giant as well one of the most prominent Jews in the world, in his time. And his main philosophical work, R. L. A. Kim, is one of the most important Jewish philosophical works ever. Rabbi Chizdoi, and again the world, most of the world knows this from Leibniz, said, listen, even if it would be possible To have an infinite regress of causes, even if you could have an infinite amount of something, we could still ask about all these causes. Why do all of them exist as opposed to not existing? If anything exists, we can ask why does it exist as opposed to not existing if it could have not existed? Now, of course, things could, anything could have not existed. Nothing needs a reason it doesn't exist. Things need a reason they do exist. Affirmative assertions need reasons. So it doesn't matter how many reasons there are, or how many causes there are. Even if there could be an infinite amount of causes, we can always ask, what caused all of these causes Leibniz says that that proving this is is not even necessary it's it's like a what we call in Hebrew muskel reshain it's an obvious brute fact because everything we do all science that we perform is based on this principle that of cause and effect that things just don't pop into existence for no reason in fact it's quoted in the name of Albert Einstein he didn't actually say this, it wasn't him, but it's still common sense. The definition of insanity is trying to get different results by doing the same thing twice. Meaning, identical causes have identical effects. Everything has a reason, and if the the reason would change a bit. You, could, you, you would change the cause. It's just it's common sense. It's our experience. It's, if that wouldn't be true, nothing we know could be true. Science wouldn't work. The whole idea of our thinking is that there's a cause and effect. And so even, even if there would be possible to have an infinite regress of causes, we would still have to ask, why do these things exist? these infinite amount of causes would still need a reason that they exist. Now, that's the second version of the cosmological argument. They call this the principle of sufficient reason. That everything needs a reason. So, those are the two versions of the cosmological argument. The two basic versions, without going into the granular, nuanced differences, different ways that each one could be presented. So now comes David Hume, and he says, wait, hold on. Who says that we are entitled to assume that every effect has a cause? Maybe it's not true. Now, it's kind of weird to say effects don't have cause. Things don't just pop into existence. And again, the definition of insanity, even if Einstein didn't say it, it is pretty insane. Only an insane person would try to do the same thing twice and get different results. But he says, look. anything that you can conceive of is theoretically possible under different circumstances. You can conceive of people flying in the air, and that's theoretically possible. Now, there are reasons that can't happen. There's gravity. And you can conceive of giant, abominable snowmen Now, they don't exist for various reasons, but in theory, anything you can conceive of, he says, by definition is possible. And we can conceive, just like we can conceive of people flying in the air, which we know is impossible, but there's reasons it's impossible, theoretically it could be we have to know why it's not possible, and we have to know why abominable snowmen don't exist. Just like we can conceive of aliens living on Mars, we can also conceive of things coming into existence without causes. So even though our instincts tell us, our intuition tells us, All our life experience tells us that things have to have a cause, but technically, can you actually prove it? Maybe it's not true. And the reason it may not be true, he says, is because whatever you can conceive of is possible in theory. That's his rule. If you want to know if something is possible in theory, if you can conceive of it, anything you can conceive of is possible. I mean, it, it could be that if you can't conceive of it, it's also possible. The fact that you can't conceive of something doesn't prove it's not possible. A blind man can't conceive of color. But if you can conceive of it, then theoretically it could be, and we can theoretically conceive of things coming into existence without reasons. That's Hume's objection. Now, there are those who pointed out that his assumption is incorrect, that he can't prove that, that just because you can conceive of something that makes it possible, that's not necessarily true. And there are people who criticize him in that way. I would, however, deny his entire premise. I say you cannot conceive of something coming into existence without a cause. Let's try it. We may think we can, but in reality it won't work. Let's try it. Go ahead. Think of something now. Listener, think of something now. I'll do it too. That just pops into existence without a cause. Okay. Done? What did you think of? Let's say it was a cow. Okay. How many legs did that cow have? Probably four. Why did the cow have four legs as opposed to three legs, the cow that popped into existence without any reason? The answer is because you chose that it should have four legs and not three legs. And and what's the reason you decided four legs as opposed to any other number of legs? Probably the answer is because there's a cause. The experience you have with cows is that they have four legs. And why do you have that experience? And obviously because the cows on earth all have four legs. And why do they have four legs as opposed to three legs? And here we go with causes again. You see... You decided that it should be a cow as opposed to a house and a particular type of cow. You designed that cow. You caused it. You you see, you can't think, you, you can think of something popping into existence and you can fool yourself and say, well, that just popped into existence in my mind for no reason, but that's not true. You chose that thing to pop into existence. And you have the ability to cause something in your mind, in your imagination, in your conception. To exist. You caused that. And not only did you cause that, you caused it to be exactly what it is. If you ask somebody else, yes, two people to conceive of something that pops into existence, then ask them what those things were that they conceived of. Well, let's say one conceived of a cow and the other one conceived of a house. And the question is, why did you decide uh, to conceive of a house and why did you have a cow pop into existence? And there are certainly reasons. There's a reason why you chose a house and not a cow, and you decided on a cow and not a house, and there's a reason why your house has a flat roof and not a pitched roof. You see, okay, so so try to think of something popping into existence for no reason without you designing it. Or can you conceive of something popping into existence into your mind without you choosing... Consciously or subconsciously for it to have been conceived? No, the odds are if something pops into your head there was a reason it did. And you have a hard time imagining that that's not so. So you see, even though that if we conceive of somebody flying in the air, that makes it theoretically possible, we cannot conceive of something that exists without a cause. And that's exactly what Rabbi Chizdoi, and again, the world knows this from Leibniz, is saying. Nothing happens without a reason. There's a reason you decided the cow has four legs, or the house has a flat roof, or even that the house exists and it's a house and not a cow. You see, when we say everything has a cause, we mean to say that we could always ask, why did this happen as opposed to something else happening? Why are things this way as opposed to that way? Whatever you conceive of coming into existence, we could ask, why is it this way? Why is as opposed to that way? Why is it this as opposed to that? You see, if we conceive of a person flying in the air, that would make it theoretically possible. But if it would be possible, there would have to be a cause that would actually allow it to happen. The reason why people don't fly in the air is because the causes that exist in the world demands that he doesn't. And so Hume was wrong about this what we know from common sense and from intuition and from experience and from science, which is part of our experience, that everything that happens has a cause. We cannot even imagine a world in which that's not true. We cannot even conceive of something popping into existence without us causing that conception. And not only that conception, but the details of what we are conceiving. But now I want to follow Hume's line of reasoning in a different direction. Since there has to be a first cause, a necessary existence, using Hume's line of reasoning, we can figure out something very important about that necessary existence, about what it is. Let's go back to our example of two people thinking or conceiving of something popping into existence without a cause. So one thought of a cow and the other thought of a house. And the problem with that is, well, we can always ask, why? Why did you think of a house instead of a cow? And why did you think of a cow instead of a house? A cause is always the answer to the question, why is something this way? as opposed to another way? Why does something have four legs as opposed to three? Why is something a cow and not a house? Why does the cow exist altogether? And if a necessary existence had four legs, let's say, if it was a cow, that would not make sense because we would still be able to ask the same question. Why does this causeless cause have four legs? What caused it to have four legs and not three? Theoretically, it could have had three. So why does it have four legs? Anytime you can ask, why is something this way as opposed to that way? The answer is going to be a cause. And a causeless cause, a necessary existence does not have a cause, which means that in order to understand to whatever extent possible what this first cause is like, we need an entity about which we cannot ask, why is it this way as opposed to that way? If you have a cow and not a house, the difference between a cow and a house is the details. One is shaped this way, one is this size, one is made out of a certain material. And the why is always the details. Why is something this shape? Why is something this color? There's a color, there's a shape, there's uh, the materials that it's composed of, there's the, its composition altogether. So long as you have any details you're always going to ask why. Why is it this way? It's, it's that word this, that identifying of some characteristic as opposed to some other characteristic that's going to invariably lead to a cause. So this necessary existence, this first cause, we know, we know that it has to exist or it has to be. But we also now know that it cannot have any details. An Arkham's razor approach would say that anything beyond it being there, any actual characteristics or details to its existence cannot be. Because this necessary existence, there's no reason why it should have four legs as opposed to three legs or three legs as opposed to two or legs altogether? There's no reason it should have a color. There's no reason it should be composed of uh, parts. There's no reason for anything about it. All we know is that there's an it. And although I said that this line of reasoning is going to give us an idea of what the first cause is, it's really more accurately stated. We're having an idea. We're able to get an idea of what the first cause is not. The first cause cannot have details. It has to be totally simple. Existence Or isness. I-S-N-E-S-S. Isness. It is. It's a different, I don't want to say existence, even though existence could be true, but existence is associated with causes. You could say why, you can always ask also, why does something exist as opposed to not exist? But there has to be a first cause. Mathematically, there has to be. You cannot have an infinite regression of causes, so there has to be. The alternative is absurd. So there, there is something there. But this something cannot have a nose, it cannot have eyes, it cannot have a shape. Cannot have come into existence at a certain time because then it theoretically could have not existed and there was a reason it came into existence. It has to be, we call this in Hebrew, kuloi poshut, utterly simple, pure simplicity. It had to be capable enough to create everything, to cause everything, because it is the first cause. All of those are inescapable. That it is that it caused everything, those are inescapable because of the alternative being absurd, namely the infinite regression or the insanity of things just popping into existence without causes. That cannot be. But more than that, let's take an Occam's razor approach, more than that also cannot be or should not be because once you attribute any details to it, any complexity. You can ask, ah, it's this way. Why is it this way as opposed to that way? What you need to do for this necessary existence is to remove anything about which you can ask, why is it that way? Anything you can point to and say, look, that, as opposed to something else that could have been, then you would be forced to attribute a cause to that characteristic ipso facto the first cause the necessary existence has to be totally simple without any details and any characteristics granted this is a type of existence that we've never experienced I mean, that's not a big deal. There are a lot of existences that aren't experienced, at least not by us. I I said before that a blind man never experienced life. Somebody who was born blind, and no matter how you explain it to him, he'll never be able to understand the difference between blue and red because he's never experienced. The human mind doesn't invent its own ideas. It absorbs observations and experiences, processes them, and then spits them out in the similar way, to the way a computer takes in information, processes it, and then gives you and gives you results. The results of human experience are the ideas, perceptions, conclusions. But obviously, there are realities that exist that have to exist, but we cannot conceptualize them even though we know they exist i mean i'll give you an example Uh, let's say space ends right space ends and we can't conceive of that do we know what that means i mean we know what it means on paper but can we conceptualize it since we can't obviously what happens afterwards so there are a lot of things that we could know on paper even though we cannot conceptualize them A first cause is one of those. We could prove on paper that it exists, as as we've done, but to conceptualize it, we can't. What we do know about it is that it has to be devoid of any complexity, devoid of any details, devoid of any particulars, particular composition particular shape size any character anything that you could say why is it this way as opposed to that way it cannot be any way it just plain is in a purely simple manner and no we cannot conceptualize what it is like but we can know a lot about what it is not So, yeah, Hume is wrong. His opponents are right. Everything needs a reason. And it's not even possible for us to conceive of something unless there's a reason we decided we chose to conceive of it.
1: Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro, and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.